This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Years ago, I came across a little book called Dear God, Children's Letter, Letters to God. Uh, the author, David Heller, went all over the country interviewing children and collecting prayers and letters that they had written to God. And I wanted to share a few of these with you this morning. Dear God, thank you for my parents, my sister, Anita, and for my grandma and grandpa. They are real, warm, and special. I forgive you for my brother, Phil. <clears throat> I guess you didn't finish working on him. Sean, age 12. Dear God, my mum is acting weird because she is getting old. Can you take back a few grey hairs? That would help bring the house back to normal. Thanks for what you can do. Mike, age nine. Dear God, girls are weird, except for my mum. Love you, Timmy, age seven. Dear God, do you think there's enough love today? I feel there's a shortage. Love, Ken, age nine. I think Ken, age nine, rather nailed it. Yesterday's horrendous mass shooting just a couple of hundred miles north of us in Buffalo is yet another example in a tragic, wicked, evil, and long line of glaring examples of racism, hatred, and deadly violence. I offer no reactionary platitudes or politics in the face of such wickedness. But we can and should lament. We can and should cry out to God. And we can take some comfort that a day is coming when the evil in this world will be banished forever. Our passage from Revelation this morning in stark terms reminds us of this truth. In John's great vision of heaven, he sees a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God, for his judgments are true and just. And I think we often remember those great songs of praise in heaven around the throne. But did you notice what followed that? He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. We live in a world where an 18-year-old can be so filled with hatred for non-whites that he will kill and maim others with complete disregard for life and live stream the whole thing while he's doing it. Let us remember that God so loved the world that he has done something about this. He gave his son to die. And one day, Jesus is coming again as judge of the world. There will be justice. There will be righteousness. And the final destruction of evil. Well, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the words of Jesus, the just judge. Jesus, the one who was slain. Jesus, the one who commands us to take action. Listen to what he says. Just as I have loved you, 
you also should love one another. That is the action to which we are called. And to love is the highest calling in our lives as Christians. It affects every area of our lives, in our homes, in our marriages and families, in our relationships with one another. And as we all know, loving others is often very hard. God's call on our lives to be loving and faithful and obedient to him does not diminish or get put on hold when we are tired or sick or frustrated, when we face difficulties or are suffering. It does not go away even in the face of a mass shooting. Our Lord's commandment stands firm. We are to love one another even as Christ has loved us. This morning, we're going to take a fresh look at this profound, life-changing, potentially world-changing commandment. Here in John's Gospel, Jesus is not reframing the golden rule. You know, do to others what you would have them do to you. Though he did say that. Neither is he repeating the Old Testament command to love your neighbor as yourself. Though Jesus also affirmed that teaching. So what's new about this, and what makes it so different? After all, isn't this really what the Ten Commandments are all about, loving God and loving others? Well, yes, they are. But what's new is the way we are to love. The disciples already know that they're meant to love. They know the rules, but they needed a model to know how to do it. The new commandment, Jesus tells them, is to love one another as I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved us? We know the answer as we look to the cross. Jesus did not go to the cross for those who deserved his sacrifice. No one does. Rather, he went for all. His love knows no limits. And it is this self-giving, self-sacrificing love that Jesus calls us as his followers to practice. Those fortunate enough to have been brought up in a loving home may have experienced love like this. The family, whether our own families or the church family, can help us learn just what this new commandment of Jesus is all about. One place that we should expect to find love in plentiful supply is in our homes and families and in our church family. No family is perfect, and our church family at Ascension is far from perfect, as is every other church family. And yet, this community to which we belong is in many ways, albeit imperfectly, a sanctuary, a place of refuge, a place where someone will listen and come alongside and pray with us, where we will find forgiveness and acceptance, where there will be someone who loves us. I know this to be true. I have experienced this, and I know many of you have also. And that is what the family and the church were created to be. Of course, being a loving family, whether in our church family or in our homes, is a demanding call. And thus has it ever been. Take the very first family, for example, Adam and Eve. They started off pretty great, but it wasn't long before problems arose in paradise. Eve eats of the forbidden fruit, and so does Adam. And the first thing that he does is to blame her. 
Lord, I would have been happy with just the animals, but no, you had to create this woman. The first marriage didn't last long before there was conflict. And it didn't get any better when they had kids. You remember Cain and Abel, the very first brothers? wasn't long before one of them becomes the very first murderer, an act of domestic violence. Brother kills brother. The truth is, it's not easy being a family. It never has been. Family life and church life both carry great potential for blessings and burdens, for joy and pain. And there will be some of each in every family and every church. But this is precisely why we need to hear and receive and live out this commandment from Jesus once again this morning. Love one another as I have loved you. Note, this is a commandment. It's not a suggestion or a recommendation. It's a command. It's an order. This means that we are consciously to choose each day to love each other as Christ has loved us. Practicing Christ-like love means that we need always to have in mind, in what we say and in what we do, that which is best for others. Often it can mean sacrificing what we want for the sake of another. Christ has such love for us that it led him to give his life for us on the cross. To love as he loves means dying for one another. In countless ways, every day we're called to die to that self-centered part of our lives and demonstrate love, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. This commandment to love as Christ love is for all of us. Husbands, fathers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins. Now, I want you to hear this also. Love like this does not mean you have to be a rug for everyone to step on. Indeed, sometimes the most loving thing to do in the face of wrong behavior is to confront it, not allow it to go unchallenged and hold others accountable for how they treat you or another. Love often means being kind, clear, and even courageous. When it would be easier for us to remain silent in the face of gossip, enabling in the face of addiction, or complicit by our silence in the face of all kinds of injustices. Love demands that we not lose our nerve. No, we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. Real love, the love that knows no end, the love that took Jesus to that cross, is deep and strong and willing to say and do hard things, not merely nice things. In that great passage uh, about love in 1 Corinthians 13, where St. Paul speaks of love, he says, Now we see as but a poor reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And when the picture we saw from Revelation of the great marriage supper of the Lamb seems so distant, so far away, when we're surrounded by fears or tears or great uncertainty. It is precisely in these times that we need to hear again this commandment of Jesus. The most powerful thing 
we can do as followers of Christ and as a church together truly is to love one another. And why is that so? Because if we will love as Christ has loved us, then other people will notice and they will see that God is real. Other people will catch a glimpse of eternal life, of life with love, of life as God intended it to be lived. Sure, it will only be a poor reflection, as in a mirror, but it's a start. And love brings hope. And God's love never fails. It never comes to an end. His love lasts forever. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. The new commandment is so wonderful and so hard. I think it's a lot easier simply to obey the Ten Commandments than this new one. Stealing, lying, cheating. I mean, those are things I could say no to. They make sense. And we'd probably all agree that it's perfectly reasonable to be truthful, to be fair and just. But this commandment is asking us, no, commanding us, not to be reasonable people, but unreasonable Jesus commands us to practice unreasonable love. To love where love is not returned. To love when we're wronged. To love as Christ has loved us. And his love took him to the cross. Note the context of this new commandment. The disciples aren't sitting around a campfire holding hands and singing Kumbaya. It wasn't even part of a wedding celebration. This takes place on the very night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus had just given Judas a piece of bread, a sign that he would be the one to betray him. And so on this very night, Jesus is talking about love. He was entering his final hours before the crucifixion. He was, in a sense, entering into his finest hour. Or as Jesus himself said, now is the Son of Man glorified. This was the hour for which he had come, to give his life as a sacrifice for the world. This is the context in which Jesus gives the disciples the simplest, clearest, and hardest command of all. Love one another as I have loved you. I wonder, what has been your finest hour As I think over my life, I, I don't think my finest hours have been my greatest achievements. I think they're more likely to be found in those moments when I have heard and obeyed this new commandment of Jesus. And so for each one of us, there are many fine hours ahead of us. American political satirist and journalist, the late Patrick O'Rourke, wrote, Everybody wants to save the earth. Nobody wants to help mum do the dishes. Love is intensely practical. We so easily get fired up about politics or decisions of the Supreme Court, the state of the nation, why the church should do this or has failed to do that. All things, you know, I understand why we get fired up about them. Of course I do. But let me ask you this. Will the lives of those that you love and care about be transformed through the conviction of those beliefs of yours? 
Will your neighbors come to know the Jesus that we praise and worship here this morning because of your social media posts? Probably not. Jesus said, by this will everyone know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And because this new commandment is so hard, we need help. Jesus didn't give us a seemingly impossible command and then abandon us. The takeaway today is not you are all miserable failures when it comes to loving as Jesus loves, so try harder. Thankfully and wonderfully, help is available. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is our helper, our comforter, and the one who equips and empowers us to be more like Jesus. And so the invitation God gives is for us to come to him as we are, in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our frustrations, with our fears and with our doubts. And as we come, we dare to pray, make us holy, make us one. We dare to ask the Lord to send us his Holy Spirit afresh to give us his work to do. And in all this, we do so not primarily for our own sakes, but for the sake of others, that the world may know and may see and may experience and may be the recipients of God's love. I long for us to be known more and more by our love for one another. I long for people to see in us grace and compassion. I long for us to be a people who are willing to speak the truth in love. Not one or the other, but both. With the psalmist, I pray that God would restore us. I pray that here at Ascension, steadfast love and faithfulness will meet, that righteousness and peace will kiss each other. May God give us his grace to love, even as he has loved us. Amen.